From Applied Client Network and the team behind Connections, this is Reapplied. I'm your host, Brian Langerman, CEO of Applied Client Network. On today's episode, we'll be changing things up a bit. With me is Ed Higgins, formerly of Thousand Islands Agency, past president of the Big Eye New York, and past chair of Applied Client Network, who dedicated much of his career to fighting and advocating for insurance agents and brokers. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian, good to be here. So glad to have you today, Ed. Now, before we get into advocacy, I'd love for our listeners to get a taste of your incredible career in insurance. Can you share a little bit with our listeners today, Ed? Yeah, Brian, and I think I'll try to do it from the perspective of advocacy. Um, Early in my career, I became involved with my state uh, uh, independent agent association, Back then, I was called the Independent Insurance Agents of New York, and now it's Independent Agents and Brokers of New York. And um, uh, one of the things that I, I realized when I was in that process was that um, the, there were a lot of small insurance agencies that were being sold and going out of business, while there were a lot of agencies that were growing significantly by acquiring them. And our national association took a look at that and realized that there were certain practices of those uh, large agencies that made them more successful than smaller agencies. And so they developed this program called the Best Practices that was intended to provide an educational basis for agents to learn from the larger agents how to be better survivors and to grow their own businesses. And I became very involved in that process. And not only did I study the, the, the material, I actually became an instructor and taught classes all over New York State on best practices to small agents on how to become better agents and learn from the practices of the larger agencies. And uh, we also had a Best Practices award program that recognized agencies that practice best practices and showed that demonstrated in their financial results. And so not only did I teach the class, but I also became a best practices agency for 12 or 15 years that, uh, that I was active. And then I became uh, uh, promoted to a position called state national director, where I represented New York at the National Association. And while I was there, I became recognized for my activity in technology that I had used them on my own and became the first chair of the Agents Council for Technology, which is a national organization to promote the better effective use of technology for independent agents. Um, and while I was in that forum, I realized that there were uh, agent companies that were starting to sell in a different channel directly to the consumer. And so we have independent agents, we have direct writers, and we have now carriers who, uh, who, who play in both forums. And my perspective became that I recognized that in some ways they were our direct competition, although in a different form, they were our partner. And so I recognized that when they were selling direct, they were actually my competitor and to, to some degree, my enemy, if you will, because when they would sell direct, they would, they would cut us out of, the, out of the marketplace and they were trying to grow their market share and we're doing a pretty good job of that as a matter of fact. And so I decided that I would undertake a, a process to better understand how the direct writers wrote the business. And I actually went on their websites and what I found was that there was very little need to worry about direct writers because they were clearly sales focused. They weren't focused on counseling a consumer on protecting assets. They were focused on selling a policy and doing that at a lower price. And so I actually went out and, and got quotes on my own and found out that how they did that was they convinced the consumer to buy less coverage. And um, based upon that, I developed a program that I uh, actually presented around the country. 
and it was independent agents don't need to fear direct writers because the value added that you bring to the marketplace is different than the value that the direct writer brings. And so I pointed out the, actually took them online and showed some of the techniques that they used and, and convinced them, tried to convince them why they shouldn't be concerned about competing in that marketplace. But what's troubling is that they've been effective and independent agents have kind of turned a blind eye to the notion that, well, personalized isn't all that important and so we can kind of let that go by the wayside. But if you look at some of these carriers' behavior, they, they dabble in the marketplace for a little bit and if it works, they expand it further. Uh, one company in particular, actually I read a book that shows that they are dedicated to that business model. The other thing that direct writers often do is they're very business disciplined. They're, they're, they set a standard of what they will write and what they won't write, and they don't vary from that. And that allows them to be very effective financially and develop metrics to make sure they've got exactly the results that they wanted. The concern is here that after personal lines, we're now seeing them start to go to small commercial lines. And agents need to recognize that long-term, if they don't develop a program to be better competitors against these folks and recognize that they're going to eat more market share, they're going to be in trouble long-term. And that's a concern because when you look at the applied client network side, um, applied systems sells a, an, a software product that is used only by independent agents. And as independent agents lose market share, then um, that company has a threat inherent in that same process. So it's really a dual, dual partnership of concern between applied systems and their applied client network and the rest of the marketplace. Great. No, thanks for sharing that, Ed. That's great perspective. Um, can you maybe just share a little bit more to our listeners about, um, you know, how did you decide to get into the insurance profession? Well, it's interesting because uh, out of, uh, when I left the military, I went to work for a company called Procter & Gamble. Um, I had always sold things and uh, actually started selling Christmas cards door to door when I was about six years old um, and had a very effective sales history in, in, in selling Christmas cards. And so I thought like, well, I could go do that. And um, Procter & Gamble hired me and I had a career path with them for about four years um, and was on an upward path. but. Uh, had an encounter with the corporate mentality of not always telling the complete truth to their employees. And so I realized that long-term, I was gonna have problems surviving in that environment. And so I decided I would go look elsewhere. Um, my father had actually been fired from a company in his early 50s and began his own business and made more money between 50 and 70 than he ever hoped to make in any part of his career. Uh, my father-in-law was a school teacher who also had a small insurance agency as a part-time business that I grew out of a marina that he was the bookstore. And so I took a look at those two op opportunities and ultimately decided to take the one that was a smaller insurance agency. And um, to be quite honest with you, um, shortly after I made the decision and arrived, I wondered if I had made the wrong decision. Um, it was a very small agency. It had one half an employee. And um, uh, I was the guy from the big city coming into a small town and uh, the other, there are already two insurance agencies here who are well-established and uh, we're, we're datas, if you will. And so I had, a, I had a long uphill battle and struggled for a number of years, but uh, I decided to first become technically knowledgeable. And so that's where I got the CPCU designation. And I began a direct mail program with my, with my computer system when I first got it. Interesting story about my first computer system was a Wang system that was uh, um, the old Red Shop. And for the first six months, it broke every single day. And uh, after six months, Wang finally up, up, 
upgraded the call and from Cleveland. And the, the Cleveland specialist walked in the front door and said, oh, I see there's a line conditioner on the floor. And the wine technician said, well, we've never had a problem with a line conditioner. He said, well, you've never had one that broke for six months in a row either. So he said, test the line conditioner. And the line conditioner was throwing spikes, and that's what was causing the system to crash every day. He said, plug it into the wall and it'll be fine. And so after a very difficult start as an, an initial engagement with technology, I was, I was still very committed and uh, used that system to uh, grow the agency pretty significantly from, a, from one half an employee to three employees over the next four or five years. Um, and then I became involved in my national association. So that's how I got involved in the insurance business. And uh, actually, it's turned out to be a wonderful business and uh, has rewarded me well over the years. In fact, I believe in it so strongly, I perpetuated my agency internally to my children. And uh, in today's environment, that doesn't happen that often. Wow, no, that's great to hear, Ed. So your agency now is third generation? Uh, third generation, and we have 14 employees. Wow. And we're in uh, three locations three locations in a small rural area of upstate New York. Wow, what a great story. Ed, earlier you'd mentioned a CPCU designation, which we know is a Chartered Property Casualty Underwriter designation. We haven't talked much about designations like this on the podcast before. Can you share a little bit with our listeners what the importance of this designation is? Yeah, I think, it, first of all, I have a code of ethics, but I think from a, the most important part from a regular uh, marketplace environment, is the fact that it provides a, a broad range of technical expertise, all the way from accounting, insurance company operations, um, marketing management, um, and, and employee management. And so it provides you a very broad-based uh, knowledge base to uh, be a better business person. And it also provides you the technical expertise to be able to counsel people on protecting their assets. And I think there are other designations in the marketplace, one notably that is comparable, is a certified insurance counselor. And one of the things that all these designations do is to provide a level of technical expertise that adds value to the engagement with the consumer so that you can better advise them on how to protect their assets. Okay, great, thanks for sharing. Now let's move on to advocacy. Let's start with some background. Can you talk a little bit about your work with United Policyholders as well as with the National Association of Public Insurance Adjusters? Mm -hmm. And then what led you to join forces with each other? In terms of the advocacy, Brian, it actually goes back a little bit ways because after I had marketed a program to help agents become better salespeople and not to be afraid of direct writers, one of those direct writers came out to me pretty hard and tried to retaliate against me for a program that I delivered that they perceived to be negative toward them, but in fact was not, was focused on improving agents' uh, ability to compete. And in that process, I decided I would uh, go to my agents association and try to get them to undertake a program of advocacy on behalf of independent agents across the country. I've actually got one insurance carrier executive to sign on to the program, and that was Dan Robinson of New York Central Mutual, which is a regional insurance carrier and does business only in New York State. Dan recognized the threat to independent agents that direct writers represented and wanted to do a better job, help me do a better job getting consumers to be better protected when they want to buy a policy online because most of the regulators currently take the position that let the buyer beware. And so as long as there's no violation of insurance law, they're allowed to compete and present their product as basically trying to sell a product instead of trying to help clients protect their assets. And so what I found though was interestingly enough because of that earlier position of agents letting personal lines go by the wayside, 
Asian associations were not willing to commit their political capital to pursue such a project. Of course, that would involve some financial capital in as well. And so being frustrated there, um, I actually teamed up with a guy named Bill Wilson, who was the former director of the virtual university at the Independent Insurance Agents and Brokers of America. And he was actually pursuing this on a parallel course with me. And he is actually retired now as well. Um, and he actually has a band that he plays on, on weekends. But he hasn't lost his advocacy role in this piece of competing against direct writers and actually also does speaking nationwide. And in that process, Bill has opportunities to engage other folks. And it was through Bill Wilson that I became connected with the United Policyholders and the Public Industrial Association. Those two organizations have been actually pursuing on their own. The United Policyholders is a not-for-profit organization, and the other association is the Public Adjusters. Public adjusters are people who sell their services to insurers who have claims to ensure they get the full benefit of their policy terms. They do charge a fee, and they certainly have a place in the marketplace, particularly for a commercial client who may want to go back to run their business and don't want to spend time to comply with the policy terms that are required to complete their claim. However, it does sacrifice part of the proceeds. And so there are pros and cons of using public adjusters, but they certainly have a place in the marketplace. And what happens is that public adjusters, when they begin to look at a policy, they're the ones who quickly discover when coverage has been stripped out. And so their frustration is that it's difficult for them to help insureds when the carrier has changed the coverage and and the risk transfer so that the consumer does not get what they thought they were going to get, in fact, doesn't get what's consistent with standard policy terms in the marketplace. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. In an article for Connections last June titled Saving the Insurance Consumer, you engaged our readers in your efforts to save insurance consumers from advertising that emphasizes price over quality, among other things. I know you touched on this earlier, but any updates on these efforts since then that you'd like to share? Well, actually, interestingly enough, the the organizations have come to somewhat of a standstill currently, and it's all attributable to COVID because these organizations have made approaches to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners and have made presentations to them in the past. But uh, because COVID has pretty much shut down in-person meetings, that advocacy piece has kind of come to a, a, a halt temporarily. But as, they, as we have not had a chance to have further meetings, uh, they developed some strategic plans on how they'll go forward when things start to open up again. It's interesting how much of an impact COVID has had across the entire board. Absolutely. What sort of effects do you feel the pandemic has had or may have on insurance agencies and brokerages, on insurance marketing, and then certainly efforts to advocate for agencies and brokerages? Uh, One impact of the pandemic that is pretty clear is it has made it evident of agencies that were technologically advanced and had a fairly easy time converting, putting their staff at home. Uh, My son had to scramble, but he only scrambled for about four or five days. And in that period, he was able to effectively relocate everyone at home. And interestingly enough, every time something like this happens, it leads to the creativity of discovering new ways to do things. We had a, a little bit of a phone challenge, and my son found out that there was a brand new phone system on our marketplace that basically allows you to have your cell phone act as though it's a master line at your office, and you can make calls inbound and outbound, and the customer thinks that you're in a central office. Um, I also think that as a result of this, we are starting to rethink our need for office space. 
and our flexibility about where people can work and where and and their employees who actually enjoy working from home. So I think we're going to see a, a somewhat of a change in the uh, the con typical configuration of an insurance agency in terms of office space because office space is physical overhead and that'll reduce wherever you can reduce your overhead costs that increases profitability and I think you'll see somewhat of a trend toward that. Um, in terms of the uh, the advocacy, I think what we're going to have to realize is that we're going to have to find more ways to better connect with people electronically. Zoom has certainly been a tool that's been used by a lot of people in the last six or eight months, and I've been on many Zoom calls myself, including the one, one with you. But uh, I, I think you're, we're going we're gonna to need to see more creativity on the way advocacy has played out, because until we come, can come back to in-person meetings, we're going to see some of these things present challenges to us. Great. Well, thank you. Well, sadly, we're almost out of time here, Ed, but I would love to get your perspective on if there's been a business leader who you've admired and has inspired you throughout your career that you'd like to share with our listeners today. You know, one person that I've watched over time who, who I find incredibly impressive is uh, Bill Gates. Uh, Bill, Bill Gates, obviously, you know, is the starter of Microsoft. And uh, as a guy who dropped out of college and went and built, built a, 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 a very impressive firm, he made a lot of money, but now I look at his profile and he's using that money to human good across the globe. And I think there's a lot of recognition and respect for someone who tries to convert their assets that they made during their career into uh, improving humanity. So I have, I have a lot of respect for Bill Gates. Great, what a great inspiration. Well, unfortunately, Ed, we are out of time for today's podcast. I want to thank you again so much for taking time out of that sweet retirement life and joining us today. To those of you tuning in, if you have not done so already, please press the subscribe button or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps others find us. And remember, if you're not a member of the Applied Client Network and are looking for even more applied systems knowledge, or if you want to connect with fellow insurance professionals, be sure to visit us at AppliedClientNetwork.org to join today.